The train left the station at 6.01 a.m. Odd for the schedule to include that last minute, but I guess that's how they roll at Amtrak. As we stood on the platform outside the station, it was kind of magical. Not Harry Potter magical, but I wondered, how is it that we don't have these trains everywhere for people to enjoy? That was only the beginning of my wondering on this trip up the East Coast and back. I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode of The Grand Life, we talk about trains, the real-life, full-scale trains that used to move people all across the country. Well, now that Emily and I have left the Midwest for the East Coast, this becomes a new option for us. And what a great one. So I guess we can say we are fans of the train. Would you say? I'm absolutely a fan. I, I mean, I thought I would be. And I had a few people say, oh, well, you're not really going to like this. You have to sit for so long of a time. But man, there was a lot to enjoy about it. Yeah, the trip was really easy and actually very relaxing. I was surprised. But, you know, we've been going across country from Indianapolis up to Boston and New, New Hampshire for a long time. And it's a long haul. It's a long trip. And as we're getting older, it's just not as much fun when we're in a car. It was the longest trip we've ever taken where we didn't have to worry about which way the vehicle was pointed. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You know, we are in, like in a different stage in our lives where we're kind of getting used to the idea now that people can do things for us. We don't have to do everything for ourselves. We don't have to be completely independent. And, you know, it started with this train trip, watching everything you know, go past us. We weren't having to work to find a rest stop or a place to get gas or a place to eat. And, you know, now we're sitting in our town home and watching people mow our lawn and weed and do the things that we always used to do. And it's kind of nice, I have to I, say. I think we have to watch out not to sound too privileged when we say these things. But, I know. But it's not uncommon that as people get older, they shift some of those responsibilities to others. And this was one of those cases where we just took a kind of a new plateau yeah. of shifting a responsibility to another that we used to have for ourselves. Right. And actually downsizing and, and being in a smaller space and, and learning how to like that and live with that. Yeah. You know, so we boarded on a Wednesday. Uh, it's the middle of the week. We were the second stop on the Northeast Regional that starts at Newport News, takes you all the way to Boston South Station. And on that trip, there are like 51 stops. So that sounds arduous, doesn't it, when you think about it? Well, yes, and we stopped at every one of them a couple of times, you know, all the way up and all the way back. But we did do some things to break it up a little bit. Yeah, well, first of all, I thought it was crazy that we would stop, but it was so fast. I mean, people were off the... It's not like a plane deboarding. It's like people are getting... They get ready. They get their suitcases ready. So as soon as the doors open, they are out the door, and then they're coming back in. And sometimes the train's already started back up by the time they're still trying to find their seats. So it's a completely different feeling than a plane. So anyway, they were, you know, on the way to Boston, all these familiar stops like D.C. and Philly and Princeton and then Penn Station, which is where we got off for the first leg of our trip. But there were also unfamiliar stops like Woodbridge and Culpeper and Aberdeen. But altogether, it was like seven and a half hours, which really isn't too bad considering the traffic on I-95 through like Washington, D.C., which is a nightmare. It can be full of unexpected delays, too, because of accidents and other kinds of things. So yeah. 
you know, people will advise you if you can avoid driving on I-95 at any point up and down the uh, eastern seaboard, you should. And yeah. so to not have to do that at all. Yeah. Zero, nada. Yeah. It's pretty great. Because really, I think the GPS said it would take us six and a half hours driving, but you, that doesn't count having to get up and, you know, stop the car, get out, go to the bathroom and all those things. And those, of course, are becoming more prevalent for us as we get older. I don't know what you're talking about there. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just, a, I thought it was marvelous. So what did we learn on our first leg? What did we learn on the first leg? Emily? Yeah. Well, first of all, don't sit near the restrooms, which you'd think would be like, I would have thought of that. <laughs> I don't know why I picked a seat kind of close to the restroom. I think what I was thinking was, oh, now we won't have to walk all the way down the car to get to the restroom. But the restrooms didn't smell bad to start with. But at the end of the trip, I was very sorry we were sitting near the restrooms. Our trip started on stop number two, so right. very close to the origin. Those yeah. bathrooms had not seen a lot of action. Right. Uh, but but then they did. So so our point of reference here is an airplane. If you sit in row one of an airplane cabin, you're not annoyed or bothered by the smells coming out of the latrine, which is right in front of you. So I think it was reasonable for you to expect that bathroom smells on a train would not be a problem. Uh, yeah. But they are. You know, I used to think that the latrines opened to the 30,000 feet of air below <laughs> and that all the stuff from the toilet just kind of atomized as it, you know, went down. I don't but, think so. Well, yeah, now I know that's not true. <laughs> I, I knew that couldn't be true on, an, on a train because that would be just unsanitary. Um, and, and I guess what we learned is that not everything that's left in the bathroom goes into the latrine. And, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. It was pretty bad. So, you know, they smell okay until they don't. So don't sit close there. In fact, sit in the center if you can. Like the center area is better. Then, you know, and if you can sit in the center of the car that's close to the cafe, that's nice too because it doesn't take you long to get to the cafe. But speaking of the cafe car, um, there were times when you were using the Wi-Fi and you wanted to talk on a conference call, and I was starting to be like, okay, you gotta, you need to stop talking. You need to go, even though we weren't in the quiet car, there's a choice. You can go into the quiet car. But if you do, you know, you can't talk at all. So if you have a conference call or something going on that's business-like, and I sent you to the cafe car. I was like, you need to go <laughs> to the cafe car. And most of the time there was a table available. Not mm -hmm. always. But yeah. they're, they're booths, you know. Yeah. And. There's a little spot in the center of the cafe car where the food vending happens. And mm -hmm. then there are these tables on either sides of that. Yeah. They're pretty popular. People play cards. People sit and talk and do crafts and yeah. other Well, kinds of I mean, there was a man who was sitting there before you get to the cafe car. In the very front of the other car that we were sitting in, there's four seats, two facing one another, right? Yeah. Two front facing backwards, two facing forward. And I saw this man get on the train and he just kind of like spread out. And there, so he took three of the seats and there was this one young woman kind of stuck in the corner of that quad, you know, those quads of seats. And uh, he just talked and talked, not to her. But he was on like calls and he had spread himself out. And I thought this is so inappropriate. So that can happen, too. I wouldn't I wouldn't pick those four seats unless you people, all three other people that were with you on that. In the coach cars, because the seats are not assigned, you cannot constrain 
uh, Mr. Manspreader to to the to just the <laughs> exactly. one seat that his cheeks were parked in. His book <laughs> bag was somewhere terrible. else. He had food. He had book bags. His, yeah. I mean, he, and we all heard the conversations the whole way. So that was unfortunate. Unfortunately, she but, gave up and left. Yeah, she just gave up and left. I don't blame her. The other thing is if you're going to eat and go to the cafe car after it switches from diesel to electric. And I don't understand why this is true, but it switches when it's diesel. It's very bumpy. It felt like we were on a boat we were going back and forth, both, you know, front and back and side to side. And I even said something to the cafe person. And she said, yeah, it's kind of like kind of like a boat, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And then we stopped in D.C. They switched to electricity and it was much smoother. And faster. And faster. Oh, I, yeah, you, you clocked I, it. I clocked it with an app on my phone and we hit a top speed. This was between New York and Boston of 122 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, the track has to be in pretty great shape for that not to be a terrible wild ride. <laughs> and it was and, great. And I think that's what you were experiencing. The mm -hmm. track's just not in as great shape south of of DC or Philly. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't so much the diesel power, it was the fact that the uh, just my yeah, theory. Maybe. You guys let us know if you yeah, know if you know. know the truth here, but uh, we were slower and bumpier on the south part of the journey and we were faster and smoother on the northern part. But I have to say, I've been on planes that were much bumpier than that. Let's talk about babies for a minute, because this is something that I'm concerned about as a grandmother. Like, what if our, we wanted to invite our kids and grandkids to come on the train with us? There, I talked to the conductor, and there are no changing tables on these trains. He said there used to be, but they took them out, and he didn't know why. I, Even though babies are free under two years old, I saw no babies. We only saw a few little, maybe five-year-olds and up. So not a lot of families, which is unfortunate, because it's kind of an inexpensive way to travel. I, I don't know what you do. There's no seat belts, so you can't really like s sit them in a car seat. I didn't see any of that um, and put them in there. They they knock themselves out of the. I mean, I don't know how that works. You can't really let children run wild up and down the center aisle, even though they'd be safe, generally speaking. Yeah. They could be a peril to others who exactly. are trying to walk up and down the aisle. Right. Um, the conductor did say that on the Acela line, which is more expensive and a tad bit faster, they did have the changing tables. So maybe that's where all the families are going. I don't know. All right. I, I can't really speak to this that well, but Mike, why don't you say a little bit about the Internet? So there's a there's a Wi-Fi hotspot in every car, and so there is some kind of connection to the cellular network, not a satellite, I don't believe, uh, to provide Wi-Fi. It is not, however, super stable because, as you can imagine, there are places where train tracks are in fairly, fairly rural areas. Mm -hmm. And when they're going 120 miles an hour, they're switching between towers very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, faster than in a moving car, obviously. So... Um, I can't say that the Wi-Fi is great, and uh, trying to conduct a video call was a disaster for me oh, okay. this time. So, what anyway. did you end up doing? I ended up um, doing telephone voice only for the meetings that I needed to have, and then the rest I just shoved out of the schedule to some place where I wasn't going to be depending on Amtrak Wi-Fi. Yeah. Now that's not to say you know bad things about Amtrak Wi-Fi. It's just that there are limitations, as there would be if we were driving. 
it actually worse limitations, don't you think? Absolutely, because there's there's more of the route that's more rural, mm-hmm. uh, the, the way we were doing it anyway. Yeah. And on a plane, can you do conference calls? Um, I haven't experienced it, but that's just because I'm a cheapskate and I don't pay for the extra bandwidth. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Um, also, you did take a trip into the business class to see what that was like and what was your impression? Uh, so there are a few benefits to the business class car. The seats are bigger. They recline further. There's a footrest. There are draperies around the window so that if you want to darken it, you can do that. Uh, but it's quite a bit more expensive. Oh, and there's an assigned seat. So Mr. Manspreader would be constrained to just one of these oversized <laughs> seats. Um, I think um, for me, most of the time, it's not going to be worth the extra cost. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're... I think you're probably right on that. Um, also, I just wanted to mention, if you feel you're unable to uh, get your suitcase up above overhead, so there are places the front and the back of each of the cars where you can um, place your luggage if you feel comfortable about leaving them there or not worrying about somebody taking them. Um, they're there, and that's kind of nice. If you sit up closer there, I suppose you have to deal with the smell of the bathroom, but you can keep an eye on your luggage. <laughs> Life's full of trade-offs. <laughs> Full of tough choices. Arriving in New York, we got off at Pennsylvania Station. Kudos to the new Moynihan Hall, which used to be the old post office in uh, Midtown, right? Is that considered Midtown? I think Manhattan? so. Um, and man, it felt like an airport terminal. It was beautiful. And we uh, met our grandchildren there, a couple of our, the couple grandboys, and they came running towards us. It was so much fun to see them. We got some ice cream. We had, we had a blast having them show us around to this new, beautiful terminal. And then uh, we stayed in New Jersey with friends and then visited our daughter and our son-in-law in the city. And they live up in the Upper West Side. So we saw the school that our kindergarten grand was going to go to next year. And we had fun watching them in their new environment. I, they live right next to or near a toy store. And I had to say, as a grandparent, it was really hard to resist not buying them toys. But if you saw the shoebox of an apartment, our children have and our grandchildren live in, you would not buy a thing for them. I mean, yes, if a slip of paper was about all they could handle, it, it it's a crazy way to live, but that's what they wanted to do. And that's where they are. And they love it. There are trade-offs for everything. Exactly. Um, we got to see their surroundings, which I know for grandparents is just a huge thing because you can envision then your kids, what they're doing, your grandkids. And uh, so some of these, to, some of these visions. No, they were scary. They'll be nightmares. Oh, they were. My stomach was in my throat half the time when I was watching these kids, you know, scooting with their little scooters down these sidewalks where there are open basement doors. You know how the doors fling open and they're like uh, bulkheads, but they're open. And I worried about because they'd turn around and smile at us. And I couldn't. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to go into an alley. They're going to fall. They're going <laughs> to things were going to happen. Um we had fun. We walked by Only Murders in the Building building location, if you're familiar with that. We got to walk around Riverside Park where they filmed You've Got Mail. Um, we saw a couple of shows. And then the last night, instead of being in New Jersey, we stayed in this shoebox of an apartment. <laughs> you slept on the couch. I slept on the floor. Our uh, 
grandson almost stepped on top of us in the middle of the night. He's five. It's okay. So it wasn't going to hurt us too much, but it was so fun. It really was fun. And, you know, this is all about flexibility. This is the stretch it takes to go work, kind of like throw yourself into the environment of your children, whatever they've decided and however they decided to live. And then we left. We walked out the door. We walked a block and a half to Broadway and instantly at five something in the morning, 530 in the morning, hailed a cab. And there it was. It's crazy. I mean, that city Where never else? sleeps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, easy boarding. We got on to the train easily. So the and the ride from New York City to Boston was kind of slow. So there was track maintenance going on and it did uh, force us to slow down and stop for a little bit. It also forced us on the way up to leave the train, take a bus, and then get back on the train. Yeah, uh, which, which is annoying. Which, again, was track maintenance, and it slowed us down a little bit. Yeah. It was one of those emails you don't want to get from a plane or a train where they say, oh, we are changing your schedule a little bit. So, again, we had to be flexible. Um, but we still, we got in at, you know, like 5.30 that night, and it all worked out okay. going to talk here now a little bit about Club Sandwich generation, because here we are just having seen our grandchildren, and now we're up towards Boston and, and further points north, and we're trying to figure out how to get to my mother, so who lives about an hour north of Boston. So we had to start to kind of educate ourselves on possibilities of how I can do this by myself when Michael's not with me, or how we can do this together without costing us an arm and a leg, and we figured some things out. With mass transit, there's always going to be a last-mile problem that's going to get solved some way or another. Uh, the first easy, obvious choices for that last mile would be things like taxi cabs, Ubers, or mm -hmm. lifts. Mm -hmm. But none of those is readily available in the particular last mile that we were dealing with. <laughs> yeah. So again, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but that's the, that's the quandary. Yeah, because really our country is not set up for mass transit. We, you know, especially certain parts of the country, which is, is so unfortunate. I remember we had a, an exchange student from Germany who really couldn't get over the fact that we lived in the Midwest and had no way to get around except for our, uh, our car. automobiles. Yeah, it was very, very frustrating for him. Well, now, I'm, when I say there's a last mile problem, even where there's only a, a commercial air service, mm -hmm. there's still a last mile problem. Absolutely. It just seemed surprising to me that in our particular last mile, the one, you know, north yeah. of Boston, yeah. we just couldn't get, you know, couldn't easily get a lift. Right. We got lucky this time because my sister had an extra car. She let us borrow. So it actually worked out okay. And we did a lot of research. We literally went to bus stations and train stations, asked questions, tried to get recommendations on different taxi services, kind of places we can rent a car. Right. And I think we got it all figured out. Many times while we were doing one thing or another, I would start up the Uber app on my phone just to see, see. well, so are there drivers here yeah. waiting to pick up a ride? Hmm. No. One. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd do it, you know, another part of another day. Yeah. Where are there drivers here? Hmm. None. Well, you know, there were lots of modes of transportation, but the fun of it is we're not in a hurry. And that's part of our stage of life as well. So we just go at our own pace. And I think that made it more fun, too. The idea that we're just kind of taking our time and, and not letting things get to us. And I think that's part of the joy of aging is learning to kind of sit back and let it all happen. And it's okay. We don't have to be in control. Those are words spoken by somebody who sounds like they're retired. 
I know. <laughs> we're heading there, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but not right away. No. So we're juggling. We have we have feet in two different existences. Right. One where we're bounded by me still having a 40-hour-a-week job, although one that I can do from anywhere because it's a virtual kind of right. thing. And then the, the foot on the other side is we have all these um, other family members that we want to try to stay in relationship with and want to use various forms of mass transit to get it done. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a long-term education project, but yeah. this one trip taught us tons. Yeah, and many of you listeners are in these situations as well. We'd love to hear from you if you want to tell us your stories. So what did we learn on the way home? Well, one thing we learned, which I kind of knew and planned for, was if you have a streaming service that lets you download movies onto a mobile device, do that and do it a lot. Because once you get on the train, you really don't have much of an option uh, for reliably streaming or downloading anything. Make sure you have a book to read. You can bring a snack and a lunch. We, we had breakfast before we left on the train. Then we would eat our lunch that was in a little cooler that I took with me, but it's a really small little canvas type cooler. And then only eat dinner on the train. I have to say that the menu is more varied than I thought, but still not. I mean, we're talking hot dogs and chicken Caesar wraps and a few other things. So nothing super delicious or anything. But it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't. And it, and it, and it was in good condition. Yep. It was a little pricey. Yeah, it was pricey, but as, as you, you would, would expect. expect. Right. Um, sit in the center of the car. Of course, that was something we already learned. If you want, like when we did a transfer, we used a red cap because I think we were just kind of tired of dealing with everything. And so you tip them a little bit and they, they bring your bags to the the place you're going to sit on the train and they get you to board. You get to board a little early. So you get to pick where you're going to sit and just make sure that if you are going to pick where you're going to sit, you should sit, let me see, on the right side of the train as you're going north and on the left side of the train as you're going south. That way you get the uh, experience of seeing the water. Right. I'm talking specifically about the Northeast Regional. If you're going up the coast, get up, move around if you need to, and make sure you have access to your ticket because they do change them out. Occasionally they come by and they take your, they look at your ticket and they put a new ticket on top when they go to major cities, right? I don't know what it is. That I never they figured out what they were doing. I just know they wanted to see and rescan the ticket a few times on each leg. Yeah. And I have to say, the deboarding or getting off the train was so easy and so much better than a plane. We got off the train with our luggage, walked about 200 feet, got in our car, which We'd had been parked for more than a week. 10 free. days free. Yeah. And we were home in five minutes. I mean, we live that close to the train station. So it was amazing. <laughs> so so uh, it sounds like bragging. I just want to say our diabolical planning completely <laughs> paid off in that one little 20 minute period between exactly. between when the train arrived in our new hometown and the time we got to the unlocking the door of our house. Yeah. And, you know, we were told by uh, friends and colleagues that when you're moving, you should, as, as an older person, you should think about those things. Think about where you want to live, if you're close to public transportation, if you think you, they have good doctors, if you're in a place where you could walk places if you want to. All of those things are things that you need to take into consideration when you're picking a place to live. So um, I feel like kudos to us, I guess, for, for doing it. At least that part, we, we've found that that has been perfect for us. We know that it'll get harder as time goes on. 
But like I said, this was an experiment and it taught us a lot. Final thoughts? It's way less expensive than a plane or a car. We we did the math. We wrote it all out on a little Google spreadsheet, right? Yep. And uh, the only way it's less expensive, though, and, and this is true of planes as well, but you must reserve your tickets early. They were telling us that at the train station, we've heard that over and over again. The farther out you reserve your tickets, the better prices. And we're talking about really good prices. Yeah. In that way, it's not much different than air travel. Right. Except that the benefit you get takes the price down just incredibly lower yeah. than most air uh, airfares are, right. ever, ever will be. And uh, if you might want to wait until your grandkids are like 10 or up to ask them to come with you. And they'll probably need an, a pillow and an iPad because it's a, it's a long trip for them. Consider whether business class is a worthwhile investment. Now, my decision this time around was that it wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. But then again, we weren't doing overnight sleeping on mm -hmm. the train. And if you're not going to get in a sleeping car, business class gives you a way to kind of split the difference because mm. the seats do recline further and they are, you know, reasonable perhaps to sleep in. So, you know, your situation may lead you to a different conclusion. Take the time to enjoy some of the scenery. It's so beautiful, some of it. Some of it's not. Some of it's lumber yards and landscaping businesses and that kind of stuff. But for the most part, there were really cool old train stations that I enjoyed seeing, some of the brand new ones. It was, it was really great. Enjoy all the old stations and the scenery. If you have a chance to ride the train, we highly recommend it. It's not luxurious, but it's really relaxing and it feels communal in a way that planes do not, at least for me. I don't know. Is that how you felt? It is. You know, ironically, one of the things that we did staying with our friends was look at an old movie that in which trains figured prominently. Yeah. You know, sometime we'd really like to try an overnight ride, like some like it hot kind of thing. That movie. Yeah. Except I don't think it's good. I don't want you to dress as a woman, so <laughs> I'll be okay with that. I wasn't planning on it this time. <laughs> um, that might be a lot of fun and worth trying. Not the dressing up, but the, the overnight train. Anyway, I'm curious if any of you have fun memories of train rides with the grandparents. We'd love to hear about it. You can call us and leave voicemail at 317-572-7876, or you can write to us at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com. Before we finish up this episode, we want to let you know about our next one that features Shirley Showalter, who, along with Marilyn McIntyre, is the co-author of the book, The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children. You may have heard her in an earlier episode, but this time we delve a little deeper to mine some more of their wisdom on grandparenting. In the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thank you for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life. I wonder if you could read that paragraph that begins with, we can take our grandchildren. We can take our grandchildren to new places in books, sometimes in movies, sometimes in cars and planes. My hope is that each of our growing gaggle of grandchildren will become citizens of the earth and be able to enjoy some of its rich diversity. I hope they recognize home as the place you start from, learn from, and perhaps love, but only the beginning of a widening stage on which their stories may be played out in many acts, among many actors, 
all of whom are on their own journeys of discovery. That's next time on The Grand Life.